Amen. All right, friends, let's go. While they receive the offering, um, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. John chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you did not bring a Bible, you're going to want one. So go ahead and pull out your Bible if you brought it. If you didn't bring one, there's a blue one underneath the seat you are sitting in. You can reach down there and find that blue Bible. We're going to be kind of walking through this verse by verse together. It's not going to be up on the screen, so you're going to want a Bible. Um, John chapter 1 is on page 930. Somebody help me out. Dang it, I was, I was in the 900s. 981, is that what it is? 981, 981. Um, that's where we're going to be this morning. While you guys are flipping there, uh, I want to ask a question. A question that may at first sound simple. Here's the question. What is the true, the actual, the actual gift of Christmas? What's the actual gift of Christmas? That is the Sunday school answer. Jesus. 99.9% of the time, is probably going to be right. Um, but I'm going to argue no. Now, some of you might be like, hang on, what kind of a heresy is he preaching here? I promise I'll explain. Hope. What's that? Giving. Giving. The actual gift of Christmas. Isn't it fascinating that even in a room with Christians, people who love Jesus... We have different answers, and some of us aren't even sure. Like, what is the actual gift of Christmas? I was at a thing yesterday, and uh, a prominent figure in our local culture, somebody who's uh, highly respected kind of here in, in Utah, uh, kind of stood up in front of a room and said, the gift of Christmas is the gift of peace, joy, and happiness. And I thought, as I was kind of preparing this for this morning and thinking on that exact question, I, I thought, man, that, that sounds good. Like, that sounds really good. Who doesn't want more peace? I, want, I have a two-year-old, man. I want more peace, okay? Listen, I, should show, I wish I would have like put in the slides this morning the latest picture of what my two-year-old has done. Um, but he, he's just like this, he's like a tornado, man. He can destroy a room in like two seconds. I need more peace in my life. And so if the gift of, if the gift of Christmas is peace, that sounds pretty good. Joy. He doesn't want like real genuine joy, like not like surface level, like, oh, happy, happy joy. No, deep, meaningful joy. That sounds good. Or happiness. Everybody in this room wants more happiness, right? The great uh, French philosopher, Blase Pascal, kind of the famous quote, Pascal says, man, all, all men seek happiness. All humanity seeks happiness, even those who hang themselves, Pascal says. Every, everybody wants it. Everybody's pursuing it. Everybody's chasing after it. So if the gift of Christmas is happiness, who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. This morning, I'm going to argue from the first chapter of the Gospel of John that the gift of Christmas is not peace or joy or happiness. It's something far more valuable. Something far more rare. Something far more harder to come by. That The gift of Christmas is the right to become, the right to become something that you could not become on your own, something that no, no human being ever was ever born into this. No one has even, by their own nature, desired this, and no human being ever has ever worked hard enough to attain it, the right to become a child of God. 
That's what's been given. That's what's been extended. The gift that's been extended at Christmas is the right to become a child of God. So let's go. We're going to be in John chapter 1. And here at Flourishing Grace, I mean, this, this, this opening chapter of John is kind of just the most beautiful kind of poetic um, picture of Christ. Um, and so in honor and reverence to this gift that God has given us, if, as I read it, if you'd stand with me um, in honor and reverence to the word and... I'll read it for us this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 9. The true light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave. He gave a gift. He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. So I want us to wrestle with that question. What is the true gift of Christmas? And it's going to come in uh, verse 12. But in order to get to verse 12, we've got to kind of unpack the beginning, right? John uses this, this kind of poetic language, this imagery um, throughout the first chapter, right? The rest, of the, the rest of the book doesn't look like the first chapter. The first chapter is kind of poetic and sweet and kind of, uh, kind of, kind of cryptic in some ways. You kind of have to decipher it and read it a little bit deeper. The rest is just kind of history. Um, but the first chapter is so beautiful, right? He uses this imagery. The first imagery we see, actually, we didn't read it, but if you go back all the way up to verse 1, right? John says, in the beginning was the Word. He uses this, this imagery of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. If you go to the very next verse, like where we stop, the very next verse is kind of the famous Christmas passage, right? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he uses this imagery of the Word, but then he also uses this imagery of light. And in this text in particular, he says, the true light. You see, the light is the key to the gift, in order to receive this gift, we need the light. In order to receive this unbelievably valuable gift, this unbelievably costly gift, we must have the light. And so let's first unpack these, these first few verses. Um, in verse 9, right, he begins this way. He says, the true light, the true light. You guys are pretty smart. If there is such a thing as true light, just by simple, simple deduction, there must also be what? False light or untrue light. Now remember, this is not literal light. This is, this is imagery that John is using. So, so when it comes to like actual light, right, there's light and then there's not light. But in this image that he's using, he, he says, man, there's, there's true light and there's untrue light. And this true light is unlike all of the other lesser lights, all of these other false lights, all of these other untrue lights. This light is different. 
There's something about this light that makes it unique and distinct. It makes it genuine. There are attributes of this light that even John gives us in the text that are not true of any other form of light. He says, man, this, this light is the source of all true human flourishing. This light is the key to, to unlocking the gift of Christmas. Like, this is it. The true light. That's what we need. If we want to become children of God, we need the true light. But the reality is, is that in our lives and in our day, we are constantly a people who are pursuing false lights. Believing that in some way, shape, or form, like those false lights are going to produce the things that we believe are the true lights. But what are, what are the things in our life, life, even when we ask the question, what is the gift of Christmas? And we say things like, well, hope and peace and happiness and joy, lesser lights. What's going to actually produce that? What is going to, there, there's something in us that says, man, that's what we should crave. We should, we should crave joy. We should crave delight. We should crave happiness. And so what, what is the light that's going to produce that in my life? Some of us have bought into the lie that the light of wealth will produce that. The light of wealth or the light of possessions. If I, could just, if I could just have more, if I could buy more, if I could acquire more, if I could just make a little bit more money, then I would have the, the, the light of life. Then I would have those things that my soul craves. I would have happiness and I'd have joy and I'd have peace and I'd have hope if I just had a little bit more. The problem with that light, that false light, is that it's so elusive. It's elusive. You see, some of us in the room, maybe, maybe many of us in the room, have actually attained it. Like you've actually built that house that you've always wanted to build. Or you've, you bought that car that you, man, you, just, you just wanted so much and you just knew, man, if I just had that, if I had that car, then, then, then there would just be a little more peace in my life and a little bit more joy in my life. Or, or you finally got that job that gave you the right amount of money. It's like, if I could just make this much, then we'd kind of be freed up and there would be peace in my life. And you finally attained it. And you're like, this is it. The light of life. I have it. I've, 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 I've acquired it. But it's elusive. It didn't last long, did it? I do love my house, but I wish I could just change a few things. I do love my car, but my friend just got this car and... and Oh, man, that, that is a, that's sweet. I just got this new thing, and I wish I could just... I thought this amount of money was going to actually kind of free us up, but I realize now it's not that amount. It's, it's this amount. And so if I could just get there, it's an elusive light. It's like chasing after the sun. For sure, you can find it for a moment, but it doesn't matter how fast you run. It will outrun you. Night will come, and you will long for it once more. It's an elusive light. You, you can't stay there. You can find it for a moment, but you can't stay there. Some might say, what's well, the light of health? If I could just be healthy, right? Just, just kind of grow old and not to worry about disease. If I could just kind of eat the right foods and whatever the, the latest kind of superfoods are and then eat my vegetables and my greens and get, get my daily workout in and just stay fit so that as I go into old age, I can still travel and do and just be happy. Like that's the light of life. That light's an unsure light. It's an unsure light. Can't be guaranteed. We all know people, or at least have heard stories of those who, I mean, did all the right things. They, they were like the model of health. And one day, it was just taken from them in an instant. A stroke or a heart attack, a 
clot or a cancer. Just, there was nothing that they could have done better. They, they ate all the right foods and they exercised and they did all the right things. For them, it wasn't about that last 10 pounds. Like they, they were actually in shape. They actually had it. And it was just taken away from them in an instant. It's so unsure. You can't put your hope in that. You can't put your trust in that. Some might say it's the light of human love. If I could just find Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, then, then, then I would have the light of life. If I could just get my family to look like that family on TV, like if my kids would just behave like the kids of that mom that I saw out shopping, they were just, they're so like loving and kind and sweet to her. Like, why can't my kids be that way? Seriously though, why can't they? The reality is that's a fragile light. Because I've known, I've known people who have invested so unbelievably well in their children and raised them just, just in a way that I envy. I wish I could be a dad like that. I wish, I wish I could be a parent like that. And as their kids grow older, their kids have rejected them and walked out on them and made the worst choices possible. That light is fragile and it's outside of your control. I've known men who have loved their wives faithfully and served them and cared for them so unbelievably well and their wives have still walked out on them. I've known women who have been so unbelievably true and so loving and kind to their husbands and their husbands have still mistreated them and walked out on them. You can't control that light. It's fragile. It's fleeting. But the true light, the true light is different than all of those lights. It's distinct. You see, what does the true light do? Well, the true light, it gives light to everyone. It gives light to everyone. Not one of those lesser lights. There's no other light that can give light to everyone, right? If you think about it, is everyone on the planet, are they, are they graced with the light of wealth? Is every single person on the planet, does the light of wealth shine on them? Clearly not. I've, I've, I've seen the camps of South Sudan in the slums of Nairobi. I, there's kids born there that, that will never walk in the light of wealth. They, they, they're born poor and they will die poor. They, they'll never walk in the light of wealth. It doesn't shine on everybody. But the true light does. The true light shines on all. The light of health, does that shine on all? Of course not. One of my best friends, his name was Adam. He was born with cystic fibrosis. And uh, man, Adam, Adam, from the moment he was born, the doctors knew and his family was told he's going to die young. There's no, there was no hope for him. And so his entire life, he goes from treatment to treatment to treatment to treatment, from breathing machine, the kind of crazy things he has to sleep with and all these things. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter how much, how well he ate or how much he exercised. He couldn't exercise, but it didn't, it didn't matter if he could anyways. He, he, there was no hope for him. The light of health never shined on him. Never once. And he did die young. Some might say, well, the light of human love shines on everybody, right? Everybody deserves to be loved, but not everybody is. Every day there are children born into slavery who, who never know the love of their mother and father, who, who never get to experience that. There are those who are born without love and will die without love. 
There is no light that shines on everyone except for the true light. So we see the true light, which gives light to everyone. It was coming, past tense, was coming into the world. So in the past, this light was coming. So it has come. It's come into the world. And look at the very next word in verse, the next sentence, verse, uh, what is it, 10. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The true light is a he. The, the imagery that John is using here is to describe a person. He is the light. The source of all true human flourishing that is available to everyone, that shines on all, is not wealth and possessions. It, it is not health. It is not love. It is not religion. It is Christ. Christ is the true light. And his true light shines on all. All, all are loved by him. None are outside of his reach. None are outside of his grasp. He loves all. For God so loved the world he gave his son. The entire world. Not, not just this sliver of the world or not just these few people of the world. He loved the entire world so much that he gave his only son. The light, uh, the true light of Christ has shined on all. And it has come for us. As we read earlier, those dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. It has come for us. It's come for us. He, Jesus, was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So, so what John is doing here is he's, just, he's uh, ascribing ownership, right? The, 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 he was coming into the world, and the world was made through him. The world is made through him. It, it is his. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. All things were made through him, and they were made for him. Right? It is, it is his possession. As, as, as Paul, Paul writes in Romans 11, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever. He has, he has created, shaped, molded all things. Not one thing that has been made was not made by him. All things were made by him. John is, is ascribing possession to this one, to this one that is coming, that has come. He came to his own. Again, he's giving possession. Who, who do these people belong to? They belong to him, his own people. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. His, his own people did not receive him. When John describes his own, when he says his, his own, yes, he means the nation of Israel. The people who, from the very beginning, God has said, man, you, you are my people. I'm calling you out. I, you will be my people, and I will be your God. 
The, the people who he has cared for again and again and again. And he's set up boundaries on their lives so that they might experience the flourishing that he has on offer. He's, he's wooed them and called them back. He's led them out of slavery in Egypt and led them into the promised land. He's guarded and protected them through the, the time of the judges. He's, he's blessed them with kings who are men after his own heart, heart. And again and again and again, they wander from him. He's wooed them back through the words of the prophets, through his loving actions, through his movements of rescue. He has wooed them back. Even through the discipline of his hand, he is driving them back to him so that they might experience the full flourishing that he has to extend to them. He has loved them perfectly since the dawn of time. The Father who created them and has loved them perfectly has come into the world and they did not receive him. They didn't receive him. It's like if I could, in some way, shape, or form, be a perfect dad, which is not true. Um, but let's just pretend I could. Let's just pretend that there was never a moment where I, where I failed my boys or I let my wife down. There was never a moment where, um, man, their, their ridiculous actions kindled my anger uh, towards them. And that anger was, was never unleashed to them. It was just, just grace and kindness and mercy, always, always steering them towards perfect love. It's always steering them towards the perfect outcome for themselves. Just love them perfectly. And one day I come home from work, I'm like, boys, I'm home, come here. And they look at me and say, you're not our dad. We don't want you here anymore. And like a Des, I'm like, Des, what, what's happening? I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? She's like, I don't want you here either. You're not my husband anymore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the reaction of our God coming to his people, to his own people? I have created you. I've shaped you. I've molded you before the dawn of time. And I've loved you perfectly. And here I am. All of my promises are coming true. The fulfillment of all is right here. They say, we don't, we don't want that. You spend all of this time kind of picking out and finding the perfect Christmas gift for your kid. And they like open it up and they're like, ah, who wants that? Who, who wants that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine just the pain and the sorrow? Can you imagine what is due to those people? The wrath of God that is due to them. Friends, yes, John is turning our attention to the people of Israel, but he's also talking about you and I. We are also his own. We are also created and shaped and molded by him. We are also those whom he has come to, and we are also those who have not received him, who have turned away from him and said, man, I think wealth would actually bless, be better for my life than that. I think that health would be better. I think that human love would be better than the love of my God. We've chosen to treasure and, and pursue lesser lights and lesser loves. Our hearts are inclined towards them. We have not received him. And then we come to the text that I, I want us to come to today. The greatest word in the entire Bible, verse 12. But. But to all who did. John says not, not everybody rejected him. Not, not everybody didn't receive him. Some did. 
And but to all, every single one, every person who did receive him, everyone who believed in his name, he gave. And this is the gift that he gave. The right to become children of God. This is the gift of Christmas. The right to become children of God. He gave them the right to join with him as sons and daughters. To share in his inheritance. Or as Paul says in Romans 8.17, to be co-heirs with him. To, to, to join with him in the throne room of eternal grace. To come and in with him and, and share in all that he has. The fullness of his glory. The fullness of his ownership. All things. His infinite inheritance. He says, come, it's, it's yours. Not just yours to kind of play with and look at and be like, isn't this fun that he's letting me play with his stuff? No, it is yours. It belongs to you as much as it belongs to him. How can this be? Augustine said it this way. He said, he, Jesus, was born the only son of God and was unwilling to remain alone. For he, the only begotten, came to loose the sins in which we were entangled and whose burdens hindered our adoption. Our sins stood between us and our adoption as sons and daughters. Those whom he wished to make as brothers and sisters are the ones that he himself freed and made joint heirs. He was not afraid of having joint heirs. Because his inheritance does not become less if its possessors are many. Those very persons, which since he, has, since he is their possessor, become his inheritance. And he in turn becomes their inheritance. Let us, for, let us possess him and let him possess us. Let him possess us as Lord. Let us possess him as salvation. Let us possess him as light. The gospel declares that Jesus wants everyone to have everything that he has in himself. Jesus wants everyone to have everything that he has in himself. What is wrapped up in the person of Christ, all of the glory, all of the riches, all of it, all of it, he wants you to have it. And he's not afraid of giving it to you because it's infinite if he gives you 100% of his infinite inheritance, how much is left? All of it. It's all left. It's infinite. He can give it all away and it's still all there. He gives it to those whom he already possesses. And if he already possesses you, he already possesses it all. Like it, he is not afraid of sharing it all with you, of you having it all. And this changes everything for us. If we become children of God, if we actually, in our, if we can actually wrap your mind around this, what has been given to you at Christmas, it frees us from all of the lesser lights. Suddenly we realize, man, if I have the infinite inheritance of Christ, all wealth, all possessions are mine in him. Why in this life would I try to find, buy, and acquire more rather than trying to cling to him with all that I am? If the fullness of health is mine in Christ for all eternity, I will live perfectly healthy with him. Why am I pursuing longer life here? Take me now. Why am I afraid of cancer, heart disease? Why? 
wealth and health traits. But why am I putting my hope and my trust in that? If the fullness of my inheritance is the love of the Father, in the same way that Father loves the Son who is Christ, he will live, love the Son who is Josh. I'm adopted a son and daughter of God. Sons and daughters of God. Like, he loves you the same way he loves Christ. Why am I pursuing lesser loves now that are broken and fractured and unsure? Why? Why am I putting my hope and my security in that? Why am I leaning on that for my flourishing when I've already, it's already been given to me in Christ? It frees me from my need for those things. And it's not that those things are bad. Now I can actually enjoy them. I can enjoy what I have. I can enjoy the family that I have, and I can enjoy the, the wealth that I have, and I can enjoy the health that I have, never needing them to be more than they already are. I don't, I don't need more. I can fully enjoy them because I'm freed by the gift that is given to me in Christ. The gift of being, of, of being a son and daughter of God. However, not all are born as sons and daughters. Not all are sons and daughters of God. John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, put it this way. He said, God is not everybody's father. If he gives us the right to become sons and daughters, it was not ours to begin with. God is not everybody's father. He, he created everybody, and they are his. But Jesus says in John 8, 42, If God were your father, you would love me. God is not everyone's father. And the test of who your father is, is whether you love his son. You see, so many people would say, Man, we're all children of God. I heard somebody say that recently, actually. We're, we're all children of God. That's not true. If that's true, then why did Christ come? There's no need for him to come. There's no need for the gospel. If I'm born a child of God, I don't need the gift of Christmas. I don't need it. The gift of Christmas is meaningless to me. This right to become sons and daughters of God, I don't need that. But oh, oh I do need it. Because I was not born a son or daughter of God. Paul talks about it in Romans 8, 14. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So not everybody, just those who are led by the Spirit. He talks about it in Galatians 3. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. Those who are in Christ through faith are sons of God. Not everybody. Not everybody. We're not born into this. This is important for us to wrap our minds around, for us to understand because of what comes next in our passage for this morning. So many people are taught we're all sons and daughters of God. That's not true. It's not true. It's a gift that's given to us. Here's how John puts it in our last verse for this morning, verse 13. He says this way. He says, actually, we'll back up. Um, let me read. Ignore that. Um, We'll read 12 again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who were born of God. Right? Here's what he says. He says, he says I mean, this was given 
to those who are born not of, not of blood. You weren't born with this. You were not born a son or daughter of God. It doesn't work that way. When you, were, when you came out of your mother's womb, you were her son or daughter, not God's. You were hers, not, not God's. You were not born with this. It was given to you. Not, not, not of the will of the flesh. What does he mean by that? He means that there was never a point in your life where you, in your, in your own self, desired to be a son or daughter of God. You desired all of the inheritance. You desired the happiness and the delight and the joy, everything that comes with it. In you, there's something that says, man, this is not right. This is not the way it should be. But you never desired him. You did not receive him, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. You didn't work for it. You, you, didn't, you didn't kind of get it all together and get yourself cleaned up and get yourself to this place where, you, where God was like, okay, now you're worthy to be my son and now you're worthy to be my daughter. It didn't work that way. No, just those who were born of God. You see, God had to be born. God had to put on flesh and dwell among us so that we might receive him. God had to become the currency. You see, the gift of Christmas is the right to become children of God. That gift, as I said at the beginning of this, is the most valuable, the most expensive gift that's ever been given. It cost God the life of his own son. God had to put on flesh and dwell among us. God had to go to the cross and be brutally beaten and torn, nailed to the cross to die the death that was due to you and me, to pay for what we could not buy. That is the price. Christ is the, is the payment. Christ is the cost in order to buy what is given to us at Christmas. The gift, the gift is the right to share in his inheritance, to become a son and daughter of God. So God steps into time and he becomes like us so that all of our sin might be laid upon him and be nailed to the cross and all of his righteousness might be laid upon us so that in the righteousness of Christ, God would look upon us and say, now, now you are worthy to be my son. Now you are worthy to be my daughter. Now I can possess you as mine. And now you can share in my glorious inheritance. This is the beauty of Christmas. And so friends, this is my hope for us this morning. My, my prayer is that I mean, as we kind of move towards Christmas Eve next week, my prayer is that, that for those of us in this room, which is, which is probably many of us, I think a lot of us in our, in our minds, we tell ourselves, no, 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 I know my hope is in Jesus. But your life declares something else. That for those of us who have placed our hopes in things that we can find or buy or acquire rather than the one who has found and bought and acquired us, that we'd realize that those, all of those hopes and all of those things that we've acquired will never actually fulfill. They'll never actually satisfy. And they're not the real light. They're not actually what we're actually craving it's not the fulfillment of our true craving, our true human longing. It's only found in him. And so this week, as we kind of prepare our hearts for Advent, let us go to him. Let us worship him. And let us receive the gift for all who received him, called upon his name and trusted in his name. He gave the right 
become children of God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come before you this morning just declaring this truth, this beautiful work, the gospel of John. I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive it, to understand it. pray that we as a people at Flourishing Grace, our, our feet, our souls would be rooted in this truth that for every single one of us, all who have received you, we've actually received you. We, we, we share in your inheritance. We, we are sons and daughters. We are perfectly loved. It does not matter what our past is. It doesn't matter the condition of our life. It does not matter if we're poor or rich. It doesn't matter for the color of our skin. It does not matter where we're from or what pre-existing condition we have. It doesn't matter what our health is. We're in you. Perfectly loved by the God of all things. And all sharing in the fullness of your inheritance. And so might we be people who, in the knowledge of the wealth that has been lavished upon us by your grace and grace alone, might we be people who release our grasp on the things of this world and say, those things are great, but I don't need them to be more than what they already are. Might we find full contentment in what you've given us, knowing that what you've ultimately given us is far more than we could ever begin to ask or imagine. Help us to see this. Help us to walk in it every day. I pray these things in your sweet name. In the name of Jesus.